peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the bridge of sign. The guys who works here went psycho. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. Leading up to this episode, I took a little poll on social media with one simple question. What is the thing you fear the most? If you follow the podcast on any social media, you will have seen some of the answers posted. And stay tuned for more. The responses ranged from the metaphysical such as monsters under the bed, to the extremely realistic, such as losing a loved one. In fact, losing a loved one proved to be one of the most common answers, and I couldn't help but notice that one of the most prevalent fears was something we will all go through at some point in our lives. Obviously, I think most people meant losing someone suddenly, tragically, unexpectedly, etc., but still. Loss is still something we will all have to go through in one way or another. Perhaps this is the very reason it is so many people's greatest fear. They know it will one day come to pass. Just as much as I know that one day I'll be washing my face at the sink, look up, and see a grotesque humanoid creature standing right behind me. (laughs) It's only a matter of time. (laughs) Now, take a moment to think about your greatest fear. Does your level of fear correspond to the likelihood it could genuinely come true? Could this fear become reality in the near future? I suppose many of you would say it's unlikely, but I'm sure the characters in our story today would have said the same. As they spend Halloween night partying and having fun, I'm sure they have absolutely no idea that this very evening they will be experiencing their deepest dread. The thing you fear the most. Teresa closed the bathroom door, flicked the light switch, and then groaned in disgust. One of the party guests, after imbibing too much of the free alcohol, had stumbled into the bathroom and vomited over the commode and everything else in its general vicinity. I don't have to go that badly. She mumbled as she opened the door and backed out. Teresa walked down the hall, past the darkened room where the slasher movie was playing on the television. The flickering light from the television revealed one man passed out in a chair and another passed out on the couch. She continued walking until she reached the room where the main party was in progress. The volume on the sound system was so high Teresa was unable to identify the music being played. She scanned the room in an attempt to locate Andy and Hugh. She spied Hugh dipping his paper cup into the punch bowl and managed to get his attention by a series of gestures. He began making his way toward her, around the perimeter of the dance floor. What's up? Hugh said, more in the way of a greeting than a question. Where's Andy? Teresa asked. Hugh hooked a thumb in the direction of four couples erratically swaying in the middle of the room. Teresa finally recognized Andy. He was in the company of a portly woman with flaming red hair dressed as a vampire. Teresa turned to Hugh. This place is wearing thin. What do you say we go somewhere else? Fine by me, Hugh said agreeably. Same here, 
A voice hissed from behind Teresa. Hugh rolled his eyes and Teresa moaned inwardly as a man emerged from under a canopy of orange and black streamers. The man possessed a face seemingly as narrow as a hatchet blade and sporting a pointy nose, a sharp, jutting jaw, and puckered eye sockets containing a matching pair of black BBs. I was desperately hoping to leave you behind, Teresa thought. I'll get Andy, Hugh announced as he angled through the gyrating couples toward Andy and the red-headed vampire. The man's name was Brad. When Teresa, Andy, and Hugh arrived at the party, Brad had latched onto them and now seemed perfectly satisfied with their company. The feeling was by no means mutual. In the short time she'd known Brad, Teresa viewed him as crude, offensive, and loudmouthed. She was certain Andy and Hugh harbored similar opinions concerning Brad. Say, I've been trying to figure it out all night, but I just can't. So suppose you tell me, which one of them are you tied up with? Brad asked, leering at Teresa. Not that it's any of your business, but I'm not tied up with either Hugh or Andy. We work together, and we socialize on occasion, but that's the extent of it. Does that clear things up? Brad allowed his eyes to roam over Teresa, lingering at predictable points of her anatomy. Yeah, sure, he said. Then, in a whispered undertone, he added, I get the picture. Brad punctuated his comments with a lecherous wink. Teresa could feel herself reddening. She felt a gentle pressure on her arm. It was Andy pulling her to one side as he wedged himself between her and Brad. He reeked of the vampire's heady perfume. Hugh tells me you want to leave? Andy commented. Teresa, while keeping an eye on Brad, nodded. This place is lame. Let's hit the road, Brad commanded. Brad led the way through the crowd and out the door. The autumn chill acted as a tonic liberating the group from the enervating effects of the party. Brad seemed dissatisfied with the fresh air and lit a cigarette. So, what do we do now? Andy asked as they descended the stone steps from the house to the sidewalk. Why don't we take in a haunted house? Teresa suggested. The only problem with that is the wait, Andy muttered. They'll be packed tonight. I hear there's a place over on 59th that doesn't have any lines, Hugh informed them. No repeat customers either. He added in a somber tone. That bad, huh? Brad sneered. Hugh glanced at Brad. Who is this clown? And how did we ever hook up with him? Hugh wondered. I sure wish we could shake loose of him somehow. No, it's that good. Hugh said aloud. Then, with a shrug of his shoulders, added, Supposedly. Brad blew a smoke ring in Hugh's direction and then flashed a yellowing grin. Yeah, right, came his caustic reply. The two men glared at one another. The animosity between the two was palpable. There's only one way to find out, Teresa said hurriedly in an attempt to defuse the situation. It's not far. We could even walk there. What the heck, Andy said casually. Why not? After a final puff, Brad flicked the cigarette butt onto the pavement at Hugh's feet. Yeah, sure, he announced airily as he turned and began walking down the street. Hey, listen. We don't want you to feel you have to. Hugh began. Got to do it, Brad cut in. Who else is going to hold your hand when you get scared? Let it go, Hugh, Teresa advised. Hugh stared at Brad's retreating figure for a moment, then turned to Teresa and nodded. For now, he said. Ten minutes of brisk walking brought them to a small, nondescript house in one of the older neighborhoods. A picket fence surrounded the yard, 
and a sign on the front gate informed the readers the scare of a lifetime awaited them in the backyard. The foursome filed slowly through the gate and followed a path along the side of the house that eventually debouched into the backyard. On the porch, lighted by a single bulb, sat an elderly man noisily sipping an unknown liquid from a steaming mug. When he noticed the visitors, he waved them forward. Welcome, welcome, please, come, the man said in an accent that bespoke a European origin. You wish to be scared, yes? But first, you would like some hot apple cider, I think? The men declined the offer without further comment, but Teresa felt an explanation was in order. We just came from a party, she said. Oh, of course, you already have much to drink, yes? The man seemed to understand. You will call me Yaroslav, yes? He said by way of introduction. The four visitors introduced themselves in turn. So where's the haunted house? Brad asked curtly. You like to be scared, I think, Yaroslav said jovially as he began walking toward the rear of the yard. The others followed Yaroslav to a structure situated in the far corner of the yard. Approximately the size of a storage shed, the structure was bounded on two sides by wooden fencing and on a third side by a trellis with its associated grapevine. The doorway was covered over by a curtain of beaded strings in the style of the 60s. Brad parted the curtain with one hand and poked his head through the doorway. Teresa ran a hand over the wall of the enclosure. It's made out of rock, Andy announced, somewhat surprised by his discovery. The whole thing is made out of slabs of rock. It's empty, too. How much are you charging people for this? Brad asked Yaroslav, as if accusing him of a crime. Each person five dollars, Yaroslav answered. Five dollars? To go inside an empty room? Brad exclaimed. Yaroslav merely nodded. This is Halloween, Grandpa, not April Fool's Day, Brad mocked. What a jerk, Andy thought. Why can't the guy just keep his mouth shut? If you look to be scared, the price is small, I think, Yaroslav assured the group. This statement garnered a derisive snort from Brad and silence from the others. These rocks are, how you say... Special. They come from the mountains near my village where I grew up, Yaroslav explained. Come on, Grandpa, Brad countered. It doesn't matter whether it's made out of cardboard or solid gold. Empty means empty. There's nothing inside. You savvy? You need to learn some manners, Andy hissed. Brad cast a contemptuous glance at Andy. These rocks, they, they come from tunnel in mountain, Yaroslav continued seemingly unfazed by Brad's interruptions. My father and his father and his father all tell same story. This tunnel not made by people, how you say, uh, by miners. Tunnel was made before God made man. This tunnel was made when God made earth. This tunnel goes down through mountain, all the way through earth. This tunnel leads the damned to hell. Andy immediately asked for a clarification in order to preempt any further verbal abuse from Brad. I'm afraid we still don't understand, Yaroslav. I was told as child that those in hell will all the time uh, live over and over the thing they fear the most. When the damned first enter tunnels, they get, how you say, a preview of hell. 
They begin to leave these fairs and they leave them all the way through tunnel and into hell. Mind reading rocks. Yeah, right. Brad huffed. Rocks do not see what is in your head. Yaroslav corrected. Rocks are like open window to thoughts that you are not afraid of and like mirror to thoughts you fear. Not for a moment did anyone present believe Yaroslav's tale. All but Brad was polite enough to keep their doubts to themselves. Yaroslav gazed expectantly at each person in turn. You ever go in your own haunted house, Grandpa? Brad asked. Oh, yes. When I feel I am uh, falling away from God, I go in. I am, how you say, reminded of what hell will be like. It is good to go in there. Very scary, but good for you, Yaroslav assured them. Teresa felt sorry for Yaroslav. Agonizing loneliness combined with decaying mental faculties had bred delusion. She could see some of her own father in the pathetic figure before her. I'll give it a try, she said, her voice tinged with sympathy. She was rewarded with a smile from Yaroslav. Brad could only shake his head in disgust and look away. Teresa handed Yaroslav five dollars, turned, and parted the bead curtain. The light provided by the bare bulb on Yaroslav's porch struggled through the gaps in the curtain like explorers hacking through a jungle. Although dim, Teresa found she could see enough of the interior to know it was, as Brad said, completely bare. Still not sure of her role in the play, she cautiously inspected the side nearest the entrance. As expected, the rock was cold and smooth. Poor Yaroslav, she thought. If I thought he could handle the truth, I'd tell him, but I don't think it would do any good. He's too far gone, too detached from reality. I guess maybe I'll act scared. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll run out of here screaming. Of course. Her thoughts were broken off as she turned her gaze at the far wall. A subtle distortion seemed to have occurred. The wall appeared to be further away. Had Yaroslav managed to rig some type of hydraulic system capable of moving the stone slabs? She wondered. Teresa immediately rejected the idea, for no sounds had betrayed the working of machinery or the movement of rock. She could sense a shifting panorama. Changes were taking place, but no details could be discerned. Portions of the wall had grown darker, while other areas seemed to be in a state of flux. Teresa stepped closer, hoping to see more clearly the transformation. She began to see recognizable shapes. A battered garbage can appeared, then a brick facade. Eventually, the collection of miscellaneous shapes was placed in a setting and given meaning. Teresa found she was looking down an alley. A tired moon and a few scattered stars provided a sickly illumination. The alley was bordered on either side by ancient brick walls bleeding mortar and rising into the night sky. Cylindrical garbage containers, reflecting the pitiful light, seemed to sprout from the ground like metallic fungi. Teresa, after the jumble of objects had coalesced into a recognizable hole, came to an abrupt halt. A rancid odor advanced, retreated, advanced yet again. Teresa, repulsed by the stench, attributed the smell to the vile contents spilling forth from the garbage cans in obscene profusion. More disturbing to Teresa than the odor was a sound originating at the far end of the alley. It was a familiar sound. Teresa tensed. She held her breath, hoping it would make her sense of hearing more acute. 
She squinted at the darkness. The sound came again, closer this time. Teresa took two quick breaths and held the second, listening. It was someone walking. Footsteps passing through a puddle of water. A shadow emerged from the mouth of the alley. Teresa took a step backwards. The shadow held its ground for a moment before seeking refuge in the darkness bordering the wall. Teresa could hear the figure advancing through the carpet of debris. Teresa turned away from the vision back toward the entrance. Gone was the beaded curtain, a weathered wooden fence, the top of which towered a full foot above her head, now confronted her. Incredulity quickly gave way to panic. Teresa jumped, her hands grasping the top of the fence, her feet struggling to find purchase on the bare planks. She gained a few feet in height, only to slip back again when the soles of her shoes could not maintain a hold on the fence. She alternately cursed and sobbed. Splinters lacerated her hands. She knew the figure seen earlier must be within a few feet, and she decided the last thing she wanted was to feel a pair of rough hands grabbing her from behind. Teresa turned to face her pursuer. A few yards away, she perceived her tormentor, lurking in a recessed doorway. She looked wildly about for a weapon, could find none, and turned her attention back to her adversary, now emerging from the shadows. Teresa began screaming. She screamed over and over as loud as possible. Then, the very thing she dreaded most happened. She felt hands grasping her shoulders from behind. She was being pulled backwards into the fence, and suddenly, she was through the beaded curtain and into the comforting embrace of Hugh. Hey, it's okay. Take it easy. Calm down, Hugh told her. What the hell happened in there? Andy asked in concern. It's... it's true. Teresa gasped. Everything he said is true. Yaroslav bowed his head in acknowledgement of her confession. My worst nightmare, like I've imagined it a hundred times, it finally came true. Teresa confessed, her tone bordering on hysteria. Why didn't you just walk away? Brad taunted. Teresa glared at him. Don't you think I would have left if I could have? I was trapped by a, a fence. Right where the entrance is, I swear there was a fence. The men looked at her skeptically, all but Yaroslav. Don't look at me like that! She shouted. I'm telling the truth! Teresa, we could see you the whole time you were in there. There was nothing between you and us except the curtain. We wouldn't lie to you. Andy said consolingly. We could see you trying to climb something like a mime does, and then you started to scream. That's when I pulled you out. Hugh said. If Yaroslav's face betrayed any expression at all, it was one of pity. The rest of the men exchanged questioning glances, sharing an unvoiced suspicion. Was Teresa capable of a Halloween prank of this magnitude? They wondered. A mutual suspicion quickly gelled in Teresa's mind concerning her companions. Does everyone here know what's going on but me? She thought. Whatever happened, it's over now, Hugh said comfortingly. Teresa walked over to Yaroslav. I'm sorry I doubted you, she apologized. Everyone does not believe at first, he responded with a smile. Suddenly, Hugh was in front of Yaroslav, thrusting a five-dollar bill into his hand. Without further comment, he turned and passed through the tendrils of beads and entered the dim light of the stone chamber. Must be some kind of movie projector, or, or a hologram or something? He heard Andy speculate. Hugh thought the suggestion was worth checking into and began probing the walls from ceiling to floor. A movie can't make you feel 
things, Teresa protested vehemently. I could feel splinters ripping into my palms. I'm not making this up. Hugh found the walls to be uniformly smooth and cold, with no indication of chicanery on the part of Yaroslav. After completing his inspection, Hugh, down on one knee, looked up to find an indistinct image floating a few feet above his head. The quality of the shifting light reminded Hugh of a desert mirage or the northern lights. The light began to stabilize as it took on a brownish cast. Fascinated, Hugh extended his hand upwards. What the? Hugh exclaimed as he jerked his hand away. Still in a kneeling position, Hugh withdrew his cigarette lighter from his pocket and stroked it with a jittery hand. He cursed in astonishment to find hard-packed dirt a foot above his head, an assortment of roots and worms dangling from the soil. Hugh found the dirt was not only above his head, he was enclosed in a space roughly four feet high and three feet on a side. He once again reached out and felt the walls of his prison and found them to be unyielding. He switched off his light and was swallowed whole by darkness. This absolutely cannot be real. I refuse to believe what I see. Hugh hissed through clenched teeth. This is some type of, I don't know, an illusion. It's got to be. Matter cannot be changed and, and rearranged this way. Hugh took several deep breaths and flicked the lighter. He was still entombed in the earth, his prison as seemingly real and substantive as his own flesh. Don't. Don't lose it, Hugh admonished, his breaths growing short and rapid. Was it his imagination, or had the space shrunk by a small degree? It seemed to Hugh he didn't have as much room to maneuver as he had before. He placed his back against one side and pushed against the opposite side with his legs. He exhaled in short, whining gasps. Come on. Come on, you... Hugh felt like screaming, vomiting, and crying simultaneously, and could do none of them. He felt as though the weight of the dirt was crushing the air out of his lungs, although it still hung suspended above his head, like the Sword of Damocles. Adrenaline coursed through his body, but he could neither fight nor flee. He could only wait until panic, like an ineluctable tide, steadily overwhelmed him. Hugh extinguished the light. In the darkness, he could at least imagine the dirt stretched thirty feet above his head. Once again, Hugh began reasoning. Teresa was... She swore she was trapped by a fence, but we all saw her standing there with nothing between her and us. The same thing is happening to me. It's gotta be. I'm sitting in the corner of the room with nothing around me. Everyone is watching me right now and wondering why I don't stand up and walk out. Everyone but Teresa and Yaroslav, they know. I can get up and walk out at any time. It's all my imagination. I'll keep the light off. If I can't see it, then I won't imagine it. Hugh gave himself a few more seconds to picture the stone enclosure. Slowly, he tried to stand upright, but was prevented from doing so by the implacable earth. Oh. Oh no. Hugh whimpered. He could feel his heart cycling, flirting with arrhythmia. This is a nightmare. He gasped, his chest heaving convulsively. He placed the knuckle of his index finger in his mouth and slowly clenched his jaws together. The pain was real, and he could taste blood, but the nightmare remained unaltered. He flicked the lighter and was appalled to find the dirt only six inches above his head. No! 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 Somebody help me! He wailed miserably. He felt hands grasping him under each arm and lifting him from the cold stone slab of the Chamber of Horrors. Andy and Brad dragged him back outside. Hugh, get a grip on yourself, Andy counseled. 
What did you see? Teresa asked. Hugh could only shake his head feebly in response. Let's go, Teresa urged. Andy shook his head. I've got to see what it's all about, he stated simply as he handed Yaroslav five ones. Then be ready for it, Teresa warned. Be ready for the thing you fear the most. Andy shrugged. I'm not sure of what that is. Andy turned and entered the enclosure. He stood just inside the entrance, clutching one of the strings of beads as if it were a lifeline, ready to beat a hasty retreat before things got out of hand. He peered at the interior and found it to be quite unexceptional. Still, Teresa and Hugh had been completely unnerved by something, something they wouldn't or couldn't explain. Andy's head swiveled back to the wall opposite him. He noticed the wall seemed altered somehow. His hand squeezed the beads, and he gained confidence from the familiar feel of them. Then he realized what was different. The rock appeared to be sweating. Drops of liquid formed and traveled down the slick surface. Must be condensation, he reasoned. Andy maintained his death grip on the strand of beads and continued to scan the room. His attention was drawn once again to the opposite wall. He thought for a moment one of the drops had gone up the wall. He blinked quickly and shook his head. Then he saw drop after drop defy gravity and run up or sideways across the wall. He leaned toward the drops and examined them more closely. What he assumed at first were water droplets was actually nothing of the kind. He recoiled in horror. Oh, shh! Not that! Not them! He muttered. The figures soon began suppurating from the other walls as well. They formed on the floor, darting hither and yon, but their seemingly random movements brought them ever closer to Andy. Silently, without warning, one of them appeared directly in front of Andy's face, dangling from a thin filament protruding from its body and attached to the ceiling. Andy flinched convulsively. Angry at his own fear, he batted the spider away with his free hand. That's for you, you little... He began with false bravado. Andy's curse withered in his mouth. The beads in his hand had lost that reassuring familiarity. He brought them up to his face to find he held a handful of webbing, part of a large web that stretched across the exit. Moving towards him along the web was a spider the size of a small dog. Andy stepped back a few paces. He couldn't bring himself to run through the web to freedom, especially not with the spider sitting dead center of the web. More spiders began dropping from the ceiling, clustering around his head. Andy began swinging wildly, swatting the tiny beasts away from his face. He felt some dropping into the space between the collar of his shirt and his neck. The top of his head was soon covered with a thick layer of them. He noticed movement on his legs as the spiders began climbing underneath his pants. He started kicking the air in an attempt to dislodge the spiders on his legs. To his friends, observing his movements from the outside, he appeared to be engaged in some type of lunatic Latin dance step. Get off! Get off! Andy grunted. Finally managing to overcome his dread of the large spider, Andy slid headfirst along the floor and through the immense web. He looked up to find Yaroslav extending his hand in friendly assistance. While Yaroslav and Hugh helped Andy to stand, Teresa saw movement in her peripheral vision and turned to see Brad enter the rock structure. Once inside, Brad leaned against the wall and slowly slid his back down along the smooth surface until he was in a seated position. He tapped a cigarette out of its pack. I remember you, he announced as he patted the stone, as if greeting an old acquaintance. Been quite a while, hasn't it? Brad placed the cigarette in his mouth and lit the end. After taking an extended drag, he exhaled a long stream of smoke. Come on, let's get this over with, 
he muttered, apparently knowing what to expect and resigned to it. A glow appeared above Brad's head on the roof of the enclosure. The intensity of the light gradually increased until it was so bright, Brad was forced to avert his eyes, and when he did so, he saw his own surroundings. A scenarious landscape, dimly lit and devoid of life, greeted him. The intense light above remained aloof, steadfastly refusing to illuminate the area below, and although Brad could see the light, he received no comfort from it. Brad stood. He took a step and looked down. His feet were buried in a fine gray ash. Nothing but limitless ash crawling away in all directions. Even subtle movements elicited lazy wisps of smoke and dust. He coughed and flicked his cigarette into the gloom. Worse than the surroundings was the knowledge that he was forever cut off from the light above. I'll take down as many as I can, Brad said defiantly as he stared up at the light. Do you hear me? As many as I can. I'll drag them down here with me. I won't be... The word alone stuck in his throat. He knew for a certainty he would be alone. Alone for all of eternity. So many people answered the question, what is the thing you fear the most, with the answer, losing those that I love. It seems Brad would not have answered as so many others did. I suppose in order to fear losing those you love, you must first have someone you love. And not having someone to love often breeds resentment for humanity itself. Of course, that is just my reaction to the story. I neither speak for the author nor am I dictating to you how you should interpret it. What did this ending mean for you? The best art often means different things to different people, and I would love to hear from you. Please don't hesitate to reach out and share your thoughts. Thank you in advance, and I'll see you in October. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October. Please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at OctoberByMay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. The Thing You Fear the Most by Edward T. May Recitation and Audio Design by James Allen May Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi.